Well, good morning. Y'all having a good uh, weekend so far? Good, good to have you. And um, as Jennifer was saying, we're uh, in this series, This Is Us, and uh, started it last week. And it is about this idea of kind of the unique things that make us us as a church. And not that they're completely unique to from any church out there, but, but things that kind of sh- shape uh, what God is doing with us as a church. And last week, you'll recall, I talked about environments, that we put a lot of emphasis on environments around here, just because we look at how God was so intentional about creating environments and how environments can do so much um, to shape, to transform, to reach. And, and we realize that, we feel that in our home environment or a classroom environment, and, like, and you, f- you feel how powerful environment is over sometimes just directly saying or teaching something, although uh, those play a role uh, in it. And we said this last week about the environments that we're trying to create around here, uh, said this, cultivating Christ-centered environments that embody the heart and vision, or excuse me, heart and values of Jesus. That that's kind of how we're trying to do uh, ministry throughout this church is being very conscious of are we creating environments uh, that are Christ-centered, that, that live out of the uh, values and the things that Christ did because we believe we do that and we're going to change lives. We're going to reach uh, people. And so this week, um, the thing I want to talk about in some ways is really about like how what are we doing inside those environments to create those environments and in some ways uh, that'll be the rest of the weeks of this series is looking at this idea of of what are we filling those environments with and this week uh, it's uh, something you've probably heard us talk about uh, quite a bit from the platform in one way or another and it's this you can belong before you believe um, what does that mean and why do we say that and that's what I kind of want to unpack here today. And to do that, I want to walk through a real short story of Christ where he actually creates an environment where you can belong before you believe. It's a real short story. But after he creates this kind of environment, then he makes this comment about it that I think is so telling that gives just some practical insight for what we as a church, what Casas is trying to do when we talk about you can belong before you believe, it kind of comes out in this uh, particular passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew uh, chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. What's interesting about this story uh, is it is about Matthew. So the book uh, Matthew was written by Matthew, a disciple of Christ. And this story actually picks up right before he became a follower of Christ. But it's through this story that we see some really, uh, some cool stuff about this idea of you can belong before you believe. Look at uh, verse 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, what happens next, this is where we see this uh, environment. Look at verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, don't miss this. He is breaking some huge social norms in this moment. This idea that Jesus is, it's really kind of like a a dinner party or something. Like he is eating this meal and hanging out 
with a bunch of Matthew's friends, these tax collectors. And to do this, this is no small deal. Like all of the social norms of this day would have said, you know, these two things don't belong uh, together. Uh, rabbis and their disciples should not be allowing sinners and tax collectors to just join in with them uh, to share a meal or to hang out in a home. Um, that was like a huge no-no. Uh, if you notice that oftentimes our strongest social norms or family norms are unspoken. Not always, but many times they're unspoken. In fact, I bet you could think of some social norms in your own family, and it's just the way your family does things. And it, this is just, it's the norm in your family, and you don't always have to state it, but it's like true. Like maybe in your family, um, on time is really like 20, 30 minutes after whatever time is stated, right? And so you have a family get-together. You say, when are we going to get together? Well, we're going to get together at 6 o'clock tonight. But everyone knows you're really getting together at 6.30. But you say 6 o'clock, right? Because that's just, that's your family norm. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe in your family, you know, like to be there on time is actually really a little late, right? 10 minutes early is actually on time, right? And, and you know, and maybe the first time someone joins your family in something and they, they don't know the social norm, right? Like they step into it and it's like, what's going on here? But I bet they figure it out really quick, right? Because oftentimes those social norms, um, they may not be written out, but they have a way of being communicated, don't they, right? If you violate one of those social norms, you, you usually figure it out pretty quick, or at least you know you're like you're stepping on something that like I, I like I broke into something. I don't know about this. Um, have you ever violated a social norm in some way and then realized, you know, I'm I, like I did this and they're not letting me belong. I'm not included in this group on this. Maybe you showed up for a I don't know a really nice dinner for something and you know and. Being from Tucson, you showed up in your shorts and flip-flops or something, you know? I mean, it's a wedding. Everybody does that, right? And just, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, or, you know, or, or the opposite, you know? You show up in a coat and tie and people are like, what, what, what's going on there, right? Um, those social norms are there. Ever have a moment where it left you, like, uh, feeling bad? Um, you know, many of you know this. I love to surf. I don't get to surf, you know, as often as I would like. The beach is a little far away uh, from here. Um, but most of the time when I go surfing, especially if I go to like one of the breaks that, that I go to on a, I say on a regular basis, but a regular basis for having lived, for living so far away, uh, most often I'll run into like a group of surfers or whatever. And typically I'm not the best surfer in the group. Okay. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people over in California that surf better than I do. Um, but most time what I run into is like they, they include me, that they're, they're welcoming and I can get out there and surf the same wave. And it's a wonderful thing, right? Other times, and it's not very often, but I've had this experience at time or two. I'll get out there and I'm just, you know, I think like I'm one of the guys, right? And all of a sudden I realize they don't want me here, right? They're and oftentimes like some really good surfers and it's just like, look at that guy. You know, it's taken him three or four times to catch a wave, you know, and I'm all, <laughs> you know, or I'll have this happen. Uh, sometimes they'll know it before I even try and catch my first wave because, uh, I get cold really easy. It doesn't take much for me to get cold. In fact, uh, you know, don't raise your hands on this, but those of you who have shaken my hand before or after a service have probably gone, man, cold hands, dude. Like, this is, 
because I was born and raised in Arizona. I get cold easy. So imagine me when I get into the ocean, okay? I, like, um, everybody is in their, like, board shorts and maybe, like, a real light, like, upper wetsuit, and I've got, like, a, you know, ankles-to-wrist wetsuit that's, like, this thick, and I'm putting on, you know, neoprene gloves and my surfing booties, you know, and I'm out there like this, and I'm covered in rubber up to, like, right here. And they're like, what is that guy's problem, now? And some people can just smile at that and, like, I can belong. Other times... Uh, and again, not very often, but there have been a few times where it's just like, you know. And, all, and I have found myself, maybe this has happened to you, feeling self-conscious about it all of a sudden. It's just like this, like, they don't want me here. I don't belong. And I bet you've experienced this, that sometimes when that happens, it can just suck all the joy out of whatever it is that you're doing. Or it can, it can just, that sense of exclusion can just kind of become this weighty thing where it just, it becomes like this sense of rejection. And that's what's happening here. Like in this culture, like they would have looked at this and said, you know, this group of people, they don't belong with a rabbi and his disciples. And yet there was something about what Jesus is doing here where he's, where, where he's doing the other. He creates a really different environment, Okay. And they pick up on it. It is noticed. Look at, uh, look at verse 11. Here's the, the response they have. Um, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, why, like this, we don't do this. Why is he doing this? Now, probably the question that is asked here is asked with some disdain, right? Don't know that for sure, but probably that's the intent here. But the question itself, why? Why does your rabbi do this? He is in, like, like he is in a home having a meal and it's, it's obvious that there's this group of people that's created this environment that like, why is he doing this? I think it's a great question. I really do. And it's the question I kind of want to unpack here this morning is this idea of why, because um, it probably wasn't an accident, right? Jesus probably didn't go, oh man, I didn't know these folks were gonna show up, right? Um, probably wasn't because uh, Jesus was just like, oh, I forgot to explain to Matthew how this whole thing works, right? And it just, I think, my belief, Jesus does this with great intentionality. It is his intent to create an environment that night in Matthew's home where you don't have to believe to belong. And he breaks bread with him. Why did Jesus do that? And that's what I want to unpack because he says something in the next verse because he picks up on what they're asking and he responds uh, to that. But here's how I want to unpack this uh, this morning. I want to look at his response because at just a really practical level, his response points to just the, the practical outworking of what this means for us as a church. And I want you to picture it in this way. If you were to picture, you know, those norms that, that, are, that are, are kind of broadcast, but they're never like written, what if they were written? 
What if those norms were written? What if they were like signs that you could read when you would come into a campus or into a home? And what I want to look at this morning is what would those signs actually be? Uh, Starting with uh, just the whole notion of what we already said, and it's this. Um, You can belong before you uh, believe. What would be the signs that we would want someone to like read when they come into this place about this value of you can belong before you believe. And I want to unpack three of those out of what Jesus says here. So let's look at what Jesus says, and then uh, we'll look at these uh, three, three things that uh, he says here. Uh, look at uh, verse 12, 12 and 13. He says this, On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I think in this simple, simple, simple statement that Jesus makes here, um, there are several things that come out that are really important. So three signs here. Um, And the first one uh, comes off of this simple statement that he makes here. He says, um, for I have not come to call the righteous. Excuse me, I got the wrong one. Let me get my notes straight. Um, the beginning of verse 13, it says, when he talks about, I have, uh, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It, and in some ways it is so obvious, but it is so much at the heart of what Jesus is saying. I, like, like there are people who need this. And so here would be the first sign um, that comes out of this statement that Jesus makes. And it's this, there's compassion for those who need it. And was that not Jesus, like in everything he did? Like, He saw people that were hurting, people that were sick, people that were in need, and he just had compassion on them. Um, Like, he would look at the guys that were in Matthew's home that he'd showed showed up there and be like, like, these are the people that need my message. Like, these are the people. I want to have compassion with these guys. They're, like, think of their struggles at a spiritual level. And Believing in me is not a prerequisite for me to be compassionate, to have mercy on them. Jesus never, right, it was never a a thing where, okay, maybe I'll heal this person, but let me find out first. Let me just find out first what they believe. And then based on what they believe, based on how they behave, then I'll decide whether or not I'll heal them. Like, it's just, it's like Jesus looked at people and just said, they're a reflection of my Father in heaven. They're the Imago Dei. They, like, they matter to me. And Jesus just had compassion on them. And what's beautiful is this was modeled uh, in the early church. Like the early, there's so many instances in history where you see the early church that just lived this out. For instance, uh, you know, starting in, in before this, but especially in the first century, kind of through the fourth century AD, there were a number of plagues that hit the Mediterranean and European area that were absolutely devastating. Uh, some of those plagues in a matter of just uh, a few years eliminated up to 25% of the entire population. Imagine, uh, imagine a death toll of 25% in the modern world. Like, it would be the largest... A world catastrophe of, of modern times. And they went through that multiple times in those early centuries after Christ. Um, what's striking is in those times, there's no, uh, there's no safety net. There were, you know, there were no uh, HMOs. There were no healthcare uh, uh, things that were set up. The way someone survived 
was their community. It was their family. It was their church. It was like the, their religious affiliation. That community that they belonged to held uh, life or death. Because if that community came together and it, as they cared for people, that was their only hope. And the devastation that they faced, like people focused on their own little community just trying to survive. It was Christians early on who had this kind of vision to actually see people that were hurting beyond their little community. It's like they looked at people with this profoundly compassionate heart, looked at people and said, they're a reflection of God and they matter. And we're gonna have compassion on them the same way we would have compassion on our own little community. And it becomes this beautiful thing. In fact, um, there's a, uh, a letter that we have from a Roman leader by the name of, he was, uh, his name was Julian. He got nicknamed Julian uh, the Apostate. He was a leader over part of the area that we know of as modern day Turkey, a little after 100 AD. And he was frustrated at this point when the Christian community was uh, growing. And he finally figured out what he thought it was that they were doing that created uh, this growth. And it really frustrated him. And he writes this in a letter. And I want to read to you just one short part of what he writes in this letter. And I forgot who the letter was to, but he writes this. Um, he says, these impious Galileans, and he called them impious because uh, they did not participate in emperor worship. Um, but he says, these impious Galileans... Um, they grow because they support not only their poor, but they take care of our poor. And he was pagan. And he's like, I've got it figured out. I know what their devious little growth scheme is, right? I know what their business model is. They don't just take care of their poor. They're taking care of our poor. They're taking care of, of people that are pagans. They're taking care of care taking care of people that may not even believe in God, just like they would take care of their own poor. But here's the thing. Christians were doing that not because it was like their business model, but because they actually had compassion for them, because they looked at them and just said, we care about them. And a funny thing happened when they started just caring for people. People said, I want to be a part of that group. Like, that, like, like I love the fact that they had compassion on me. And it's this beautiful picture of the church. And you know, it's one of the things that I love about this church. I think about this church. You know, um, when the Iraq war uh, kind of hit its uh, height uh, of conflict, there was this surge of refugees that were coming to the United States because their lives were so endangered because of their affiliation or partnership with us as Americans over in Iraq. And many of them found themselves uh, coming here and other places because they were not safe there. Think for a moment of what they faced. They came to like a place like Tucson. They did not know the language. They did not know the culture. They, I mean, nothing. And I am so proud of our church. There is a group of, of people from Casas that they saw this happen and they just reached out and they realized they don't know the language. They don't know how to do a job and everything. They don't know how they're gonna make a living here. They, they don't know where to go to a grocery store here. They, they, and they just stepped in and they just had compassion for some of the people in our community that just needed it the most. And what they didn't ask is, so uh, what's your religion? What's your, what's your faith? What do you, like, like that didn't become a prerequisite 
to help them out. And it's become this beautiful thing. And it's this ministry that continues to flow through this church even now. Teaching English to refugees who don't know English. And it's become this way, and again, not a scheme to teach the Bible, but like they have reading clubs where as they're learning English, they're getting to read the Old Testament because the Old Testament, for many of these refugees who have an Islamic background, they know the characters of our Old Testament. It's part of their scriptures. They know about Abraham and Isaac. And it becomes this thing, and it's become this beautiful, beautiful thing that you can belong before you believe and that you don't get outcast because you don't believe the same thing. And I love that about this uh, church. Uh, second sign, second sign. Uh, and it would go back uh, to this uh, idea. Remember when Jesus says uh, in verse 13, he says, but go and learn what this means, which I find really interesting because he's saying this to some religious leaders. Go and learn what this means. Because what he's saying is, um, there's some things you still don't have figured out yet, right? But he's saying this to people that probably many of them had memorized the entire Old Testament, okay? Now, no raise of hands here, right? But just a little thought. How many of us have the entire Old Testament memorized, right? I couldn't raise my hand to that, not even close. Um, they knew the scriptures. They were devoted to following them, right? And Jesus says, I, you know, I know you've, you've got the Old Testament down. I know you have devoted your life to living it out, but you still don't have it all figured out yet. And so here, here's the sign. Here's the sign that I, I think goes uh, with this, and it would be this. Nobody has it all figured out. Nobody has it all figured out. And you know, uh, sometimes we tend to think of it in this sense of uh, there's kind of a group A and a group B, and it for sure would have been true back in the first century. You know, there's a group B, or excuse me, a group A, and Man, they know the scriptures, and they've got it figured out. They know how to live out the scriptures, and their life, man, they just, they, they walk this out. And then there's group B, and they're kind of in the spiritually remedial group, right? They, they don't, they've not memorized all the scriptures. They don't know the Bible all that well, and they're struggling to live it. You know, they get caught in temptation and sin, and, you know, and they're trying to navigate their different relationships and everything, and they, man, they, they like, they are really struggling. And the idea is, group A, man, that's the group God is after. God loves group A. God, God wants to spend time with group A. But group B, not so much. You get, make, your, make your way into group A, and then God, like, is going to, you'll matter a whole lot to God, right? Um, and those religious leaders would have said, Jesus, you got group B in the house. What's going on here? There's this reality that comes forth. When Jesus looks at the, you know, those that would perceive themselves as being group A and says, why, why don't you take a little time, go off for a while, and actually figure some new stuff out? Maybe, maybe there's a really good point for all of us in this. Maybe there is no group A and group B. Maybe, maybe we're, we're all still trying to figure this out. And here's why this is important. We all come into this room with a lot of complexity. There are people that come into this room and some of them are struggling with doubts. Come into this room and say, I don't know if God's real. I don't know if God exists. 
Maybe you believe God exists, but you're just like, I don't know about Jesus or the Bible thing. Or like, you know, like you got other people that come in here and have faced grief or hardship of some sort. And maybe they have this profound belief in God, but somehow it's like, I can't, I don't know how to connect all this belief I have in God with what's happening in my life. And like, and I don't have it figured out. I'd like, is like, am I doing something wrong? Or is, do I not have God figured out the way I thought I had God figured out? Or maybe you're struggling in some other way, filled with worries or anxiety over something. And it's just, and it's just like, we all need a place where you don't have to have it figured out to belong. And Jesus never made it so that you had to have it all figured out to belong, to be his follower, to be a part of what he is doing. It's interesting, he's with his disciples. You see this at the very end of his ministry. There's a couple of times where he looks at his disciples, and this is after three years of being with him, and he says, and now you believe. It's like they've reached a new place of understanding in belief. But he never required that. Back when he first said, come and follow me. Because it's like Jesus understands this complexity of, of doubts that we have, of struggles that we have. And there's this beautiful gift that we give when we create an environment where you're allowed to have doubt where you're allowed to not have it all figured out. It's this beautiful gift where you say, there's a, there's a place where you can bring all of that and let this be a place where you get to work through that. And when we do that, when we say none of us have it all figured out, there's a humility to that, friends, that is so inviting. Ever be around somebody and whatever the subject is you're talking about, it's like they've got it all figured out and you're the one that doesn't? Like, probably don't like hanging around that person much, do you? But have you ever been around someone who knows way more than you on some subject that you love, who's brilliant at it, skilled at it, obviously better than you at it, but they carry this humility of always being open to continue learning and continue growing? And you probably find that that person just is a joy to be around. You want to learn from that. Like you, that, you're drawn to that kind of person. Don't you want to be that kind of church? Do you want to be the, I, I don't want us to be the church where, where anyone who comes in here with any struggle, with any doubt goes, oh my gosh, that's a bunch of know-it-alls. That I, or wouldn't you love to, to be the kind of church where people come in and just say, man, I love what these people have figured out. I, like, I feel invited into this. And, it's just, and they don't look down on me because of my struggle in this. And you know what the really beautiful thing about this is? The really, really beautiful thing is when we give that gift, when we give that gift by making it a part of the environment of who we are, I'm telling you, it becomes a gift that you give that someday will probably be the gift that you end up giving yourself. Because here's why. And I have watched this, not just in my life, but countless lives of veteran Christians. We can feel like we've got it all figured out at some point. And then there's some turn that we don't anticipate in life. The death of a loved one. Some change in your career or in your life. 
a relationship that spins out of control, right? Um, suddenly overwhelmed with anxiety or depression or something else. And all of a sudden, the spiritual life that you lived well and had all figured out, all of a sudden, you're the one walking through the door going, I don't have it figured out. And I'm the one with doubt. And I'm the one that I, like, worried about something. And what a beautiful thing it is if you have been a part of cultivating a place where people can come when they don't have it all figured out and don't have doubts. Because all of a sudden you get to say, and I have a place. I have a place where I get to navigate that. I have a safe place where going through this is okay. And my, I still belong. And it makes it a beautiful environment. It becomes an environment where spiritual growth can thrive, friends. And it becomes a beautiful place where those who don't know Christ have room to discover him, right? Um, last week, last week at the end of this service, um, I met someone uh, right back here in the living room area who was, I, first time here to Casas, invited by someone who's been coming for a few years, but this person, I, and I know this other person, he, he started coming to Casas, kind of going through a tough time uh, in his own life, and this became this wonderful place uh, for him. And he's got this friend that he invited, uh, who's also, or who is right now, just really struggling with church, uh, doesn't believe in organized religion at all. Told me that several times. I don't believe in organized religion, don't know about God or the Bible or anything like that, and you know, but here he is at church, and he said, you know, I'm going through all of it, it's some really difficult stuff. A veteran uh, suffered some really difficult things in combat. Some injuries shouldn't even be alive, but here he is struggling through all of this stuff. A really bad church background from growing up. Didn't want to have anything to do with church, and yet last Sunday he was right here in church, and he said, you know, my friend kept saying, come to church. This church is different. This church is different. Just come to this church. I'm not going to church. And then he said, I love this. He goes, he goes, I half expected when I got there that like you'd be like dressed like Colonel Sanders and you'd have a Bible instead of a bucket in your hand. <clears throat> it just cracked me up. Just, he had this image of organized religion and what it would be. And he said this, um, and this was a first for me, right? He said this. He said, I wasn't going to come at all. He says, but you know, it was raining. Remember that? It was raining last Sunday. He goes, it was raining. And you know, he said, he goes, good things always happen to me when it rains. And it was raining. And so I thought, I'll go to church because it's raining. I said, you know what? We'll take you for any reason. If it's to come because it's raining, I'm glad you're here. But he came back there and he said, this touched me. This environment thing you talked about, I experienced that and it was different. And like something happened. And like you all created an environment for him that was so different and just like, like nourished his soul at some point. And he said this to me, he goes, I'll be back, I'll be back. Not every week, because I'd be getting crazy, okay? But like once a month or something, like I'm gonna be back in this thing. And I was like, you come back once a month, once a year, every week, go, you know, go wild, whatever. But know this, you're welcome. And he goes, I think I am, I know that. And this was good, like, it was such a beautiful thing for a guy to come in here filled with all of these doubts about church and about God and think that this place was good for him in all of that. And it starts with saying, we don't have it all figured out. None of us do. 
but together, like we're just walking with God in this. We're letting, we're trying to understand Christ in our lives and to see where that goes. Anybody can belong to that, see? And it becomes such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, third thing, third thing in all of this. Uh, uh, Jesus ends, uh, I think it's verse uh, 13 with this statement. He says, for I have come to call the righteous, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Like, here's who I'm after. I'm after sinners. And what I find interesting about this is that um, for God in flesh to say, like, here's who I'm after, and it's sinners, that's everyone. That's everyone. In fact, um, well, let me, I'm going to put the sign up. Then I'm going to, we're going to look at another passage uh, real quickly here. But uh, the, the third thing here in what Jesus is communicating uh, to this group that asks why, why do you have those sinners and tax collectors in the house? And, and it's this, because everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. There's nobody that wasn't welcome with Jesus. Um, there's a great point, and I won't turn there, but over in uh, Luke chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with uh, some folks, and again, there's some religious leaders, and it says, and they muttered to themselves, uh, this man, and here's how they put it, this man welcomes, not just hanging out, but this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And this was not a compliment, okay? They weren't saying, wow, he welcomes sinners, right? This is like he is breaking all the social norms, right? Because Jesus was intentionally creating a different kind of environment. An environment that Jesus obviously thought was filled with spiritual potency to reach people and to change lives. And the word that uh, Luke uses here for welcome, uh, it, it is this word that includes the idea of receive, but it's also this word welcome. It carries the idea of looking forward to or anticipating. It's like Jesus was anticipating. The way uh, you might invite a good friend over to your house for the first time. Maybe, maybe you moved here and you've got a new house and there's some friends from another state and they come and visit you for the first time. And it's like you're anticipating your friends coming to your house for the first time and you're, you're going to welcome them. But you're gonna, even before they get there, you're thinking about them, right? You're thinking about what, what's the ambiance of the room that I want to have? How do I want them to feel when they come in? You, you think about, you know, uh, where they're gonna sit and how, you know, what you're going to have for dinner. It's just like you just anticipate them coming in because you want them in. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I want to, I'm anticipating, I'm welcoming them. Jesus, I bet Jesus knew when he said, Matthew, come and follow me. We're going to do this thing together. And Matthew's like, okay. I bet Jesus is thinking, and you know what? I, Matthew's got all of these buddies. He's got these friends and we're going to get them over to his house. Like there was this anticipatory thing that Jesus had in this. And think about us as a church. Like the, we think about the person um, who's never been here before. We think that guy that showed up and that I got to talk with last week. Here's what I know. We didn't know his name. We didn't know he was going to be here, but we anticipated. There were people in the welcome ministry, and they have thought about this, what it is like for someone to walk up on this campus, and we think about, and we're intentional about 
we're gonna give them a smile. And if they've got a question, we're not gonna just say, well, here's the answer. Like, we're gonna anticipate that we're gonna walk with them if they're looking, you know, where to check in your kids. We're gonna walk them and their kids to where they're gonna check in. We're gonna make sure that they understand that, that we, we're glad that they're here to what they experience into this room. Those things matter because what they say, they're like a sign that says, everybody's welcome here just the way you are, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, come and be a part of this. Because friends, in that way, we are loving people with the heart and values of Jesus Christ. That is the environment that we're creating. Um, John starts his gospel off when he introduces this whole idea of the supremacy of love, the way John does it. Uh, and I love how he does this because he starts when Jesus begins to talk about love and he says this, he says, Jesus says, a new command, and if I had more time, I would have us turn here and we'd walk through it, but, but we all wanna go get lunch in a little while here. So uh, Jesus, I love how he puts this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. It's interesting, he says, a new command that I give you. You know, you, we could go back to Deuteronomy, we could go back to Leviticus, and we could find commands about loving each other. Old commands, thousands of years old, when Jesus said it, right? So the question is, what's new about it? Well, it's simply this. As I have loved you, as I have loved you. What Jesus is saying is, all the norms, all of those things that would shrink and put parameters on love in all these different ways, those are not the parameters I've put on you. The way I have loved you is that I love you even before you belonged to me. I loved you even before you believed in me. I love you the way you are, right? And what he's saying is, here's the new command. Love, love the way I have loved you. And then when he says next, oh my gosh, we should not miss this. He says, this is how the world will know you're my followers. It's not how much scripture we memorize. And that's a good thing. I am for memorizing scripture because I'm a pastor, right? It's not how many good deeds we do. And I'm for good deeds. And it's not how moral or well-behaved we are. And I'm for that. That is a good thing. It's not how smart we are. It's not how good-looking we are. Although you're a very good-looking group of people, eh? The way people know that we are followers of Christ is one thing and one thing only. It is how we love people in the most tangible of ways. Not what we teach about love. It's, it's how we actually treat people. It's the environment that we create. A loving environment. That, that says it all. That, Jesus says, you love people that way, that's that's what shows the world that my mark is on you. That's the way you show the world that my approval is with you, that my message is with you, that my signature is with you, that you are actually my disciples. And it becomes this like beautiful thing. And so 
carry that with you. And I, I, wanna, I wanna close with just saying the, uh, two things. First, to those of you who are maybe here this morning and, and you'd say, I came in the door and I, I don't believe. I, that, that's not where I am. I, I struggle. I don't know if God is real or whatever. Here's what I wanna say to you. I am so glad you're here. So glad you're here. And you keep coming. And you can come once a month. You can come every week. You, but when you get here, we're glad you're here. And you stay on this journey. Whatever your doubts are, bring them. Bring them. But stay on this journey. And you know what I believe? You know what I think a lot of people in this room will believe? That we don't have to push the Bible down your throat. We don't have to get in intense debates and convince you of anything because at this church the environment the thing that we have experienced and that we believe in is that Jesus is more than enough to walk you through a journey by which I believe we believe you'll come to see how real and life-giving he, he is and that there'll come a place where you go I think I believe more than I don't believe I think I want this not because I'm, I'm supposed to, but because I want this. And that's what we want for you, to have that. You keep coming. And if you keep coming and you keep coming, and if you never believe, we will love you no less because you're a human being and you're in the image of God. And we're just glad you're here. And let me say this to all of you who are followers of Christ, right? If you're a follower of Christ and this is your church, me teaching on this is not what makes it an environment. What makes this environment an environment where you can belong before you believe, where there's compassion for those that need it, where we all don't have this figured out, where everyone is welcome, is what you and I do in this place and outside this place. It's, it's understanding that when you come here, and I hope you get good things out of it, but don't come just to get stuff from this place, right? I, I mean, I want you to get something. I want you to get something from the teaching and the fellowship, but don't do it just for that because you're, you're, you got a job to do, right? Like you're, there's, you're on duty. You come on campus. Who knows who you're going to run into and they're going to need some compassion. They're going to need a smiling. They're going to need someone to say, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. If they come in and they're filled with doubts, here's the beauty of it. You don't have to convince them of why they shouldn't have those doubts. In fact, I'd say don't do that. Just let them know they're welcome. In fact, you don't have to go, oh my gosh, I forgot all my theology on this one. You just look them in the eye and say, this is a great place if you don't believe in God. And they'll go, what? Yeah, this is a great place for someone who doesn't believe to, in God to come and just be here. Come and be here. Come with your questions. Just be here. Like, because what you're doing is you're, like, you're giving them room to be true. And as you do that, I promise you, you are doing more to open them up and help them move towards God in the most authentic way than ever before. You just be you in a compassionate, loving, accepting way. And you'll make this a place where you can belong before you believe. And that's, that's us. That is us, friends. We're that church where atheists can come and be welcome. That's us. We're the church where someone who thinks that they would not like church, that thinks that, that I'm gonna be Colonel Sanders up here can come and go, wow, I like this. I'll come back. That's us. And it's not 
because of me up here. It's because of all of you out there. And there's not another church I'd rather be a part of than that kind of church. So this morning, we're gonna sing a song together. And as we sing this song, let this song uh, just be like an anthem. Let it be this call of what Jesus is saying, this is who I've called you to be. This is who I've asked you to be. I've asked you to be a community where you don't have to believe in order to belong. Let's all sing, let's stand together and sing. As we sing this next song, let's let this be our prayer for our families, for this church, and for this city, that we may be a collective family for the world. Now hearts, Lord, in this nation, Let your will be 
feel the environment, can't you? And you know, sometimes belonging, belonging to an environment becomes the most spiritually potent thing that can move you or someone towards belief more than anything else. And that, that is the gift that Jesus has given us, is to get to be that kind of environment. Now, before I close this in prayer for this morning, I just wanna say, if you are a guest here this morning, man, what a delight, what a privilege it is to have you here. I'm gonna be right back here, and I'd love to just shake your hand and welcome you personally uh, to just being a part of this uh, here this morning, or maybe you're here this morning and there's just something heavy on your heart, and you'd love to just have a compassionate, wonderful person just pray with you or for you this morning. I invite you to go back over to the prayer place here. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we just, uh, we thank you for who you've called us to be as a church. Um, that this is us, that this is us, that what you're doing through this body of believers is so beautiful in so many ways. And we are grateful to be on this journey with you. And we pray this in your son's name, amen. Have a great week.